You are listening to the First Tech Podcast. These podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors. If you are not an authorised financial advisor, you may find the content of this podcast difficult to follow as it assumes you have the necessary training and qualifications to understand the concepts discussed. You should also be aware the information contained in this podcast is general information only and does not take into account any of your personal circumstances, needs or objectives. Hello and welcome to the latest news podcast for September, where we cover all the latest legislative and regulatory developments that advisors need to be aware of. I'm your host, Craig Day, head of the FirstTech team, and joining me today are three of my team members. So we've got Alex, Richard and Tim. Now, today we've got a few topics we're going to talk about. First up, we're going to be discussing a new bill that was introduced to make some changes to the non-arms length expense rules, as well as a recent AAT case that looked at issues around a notice of intent for personal deductible contributions and try and get some learnings out of that. Then we'll look at the impact of the high interest rates on a number of rates and thresholds that are legislated to increase in line with interest rates that are just about to occur. So we'll have a look at those. And then finally, we're gonna discuss two other podcasts that we're releasing this month, this month on the stage three tax cuts and the advice implications of those, as well as changes to the first home super saver scheme. Okay, starting off with Alex. Now, Alex, the bill to implement uh, several measures announced in the May federal budget has been introduced. And one of those measures includes an issue that has been front of mind for a number of years for those advisors in the SMSF space, and that is the proposed changes to the rules for non-armed length expenses and how that may trigger non-armed length income for superannuation entities. Now, Alex, can you give us a quick high-level refresher on the problem the bill is actually trying to resolve here. Sure, Craig. So as the law currently stands, and this is a result of a legislative change in 2019 that was effective from 1, uh, 1 July 2018, where a super fund pays less than market rate for a general fund expense, that becomes a non-arms length expense and it's in fact connected to all of the income derived by the fund in that year, resulting in all of the fund's income which includes exempt pension income, accessible contributions, so all your concessional contributions, that can all be treated as NALI and taxed at 45%. Now a general expense, a general fund expense for the non-accountants in the room like me, are things like accountancy and admin costs, actuarial costs, pre-retirement advice fees provided to members, audit, legal costs, all those sorts of things are considered general fund expenses. So for example, an accountant doing their own SMSS admin in their capacity as an accountant for no charge would result in all of the income for the fund for that year being taxed at 45%. Now, there have been some transitional provisions operating here, hasn't there? So funds aren't currently getting whacked with this. So can you give us a quick recap of those as well, just to give us an idea of the timing of how this is all working? Yeah, sure. So, and yeah, you're right. So without going into too much detail, rehashing what is probably quite a a long Mm -hmm. history, uh, this, this change created some concerns in the industry. And so to address those, the ATO said that they're not going to allocate compliance resources to determine if NALI applies on general expenses from 1 July 2018 up to uh, 30 June 2023, while this issue was addressed. 
Um, but that relief is over now, of course. We're, we're past that, and ATO hasn't announced any extensions to it. And so NALI, or non-arms-length expenses, need to be considered really carefully when services are being provided to an SMSF outside of normal commercial practices. Okay, so that's why we've got this new bill, so the transitional provisions finished mm -hmm. on uh, basically the 30 June, so we now need some new rules. So do you want to give us a quick run-through of the changes announced in the bill? Yep, so this bill changes NALI in several ways. So first of all, it excludes APRA regulated funds from the NALI rules. Uh, so this really is an SMSF and small APRA fund issue. So for small SMSFs and small APRA funds, the amount of NALI taxed at 45% is going to be limited to twice the difference between what should have been paid for the expense and the amount actually paid, ignoring deductions against that amount. Uh, this, and so this NALI component is also going to be capped in that it can't be more than the fund's net assessable income, excluding assessable contributions for the year. Uh, and, uh, and finally, it, it's only going back as far as looking at expenses incurred uh, from 1 July 2018. Okay, so, okay, so that's uh, quite an important difference. Obviously, with what, what you just said, with basically if we incurred a a non-arms length general expense in relation to all the fund, that was going to tarnish all of the fund's income in that year, which would now be taxed at 25%. Mm -hmm. So now we're just looking at the difference between what was charged and what should have been charged and multiplying that by two, and that's going to be our non-arms length income. So now that's lower than was originally intended, isn't it? It actually is, yes. Yeah. So in January this year, the government proposed to amend the NALI provisions so that SMSFs and small funds would be subject to an upper limit of five times the level of undercharged expenditure. So this announcement in the May federal budget, which was only a few months later, of two times was actually a pleasant surprise. Okay, so let's just summarise here. So let's say a fund incurred a general fund expense was that was 3,000 less than what it should have been charged. So maybe we've got an account here that likes to do with own self-managed funds administration, let's say their normal fees that they would charge are $3,000, and they haven't charged anything. So in that case, the funds NALI will be double the amount, assuming the funds net income, including excluding accessible contributions, was at least that $6,000 figure. So as a result, the fund will need to pay non-deductible tax liability of 2,700, which is 45% over 6,000 instead of that 3,000 deductible expense. Um, so that would equate to what, about $2,550. So it's not actually gonna be that much of a, a huge impact for self-managed shoe funds. So, okay, thanks Alex. Well, I suppose we'll watch this and let every non, everyone know when these, uh, when these rules become law. Yep, we sure will. Okay, so moving on to another issue. Now, Richard, I hear there was a recent AAT case about someone who was denied a tax deduction for their personal super contribution and it has highlighted some important points about a notice of intent. Now, can you give us a bit of a background about what happened here? Yeah, sure thing, Craig. Uh, basically, a member was prohibited from claiming a tax deduction for a super contribution because he did not comply with the requirement to lodge a valid notice of intent. The story was that a member made personal contributions to his super fund totaling $6,550 during the 2021 financial year, mm -hmm. but when he submitted the notice to claim this amount as a deduction, he did not realise that the final amount of contribution of $550 still hadn't been made yet. And as a result, his super fund only had $6,000 
worth of personal contributions on record when he submitted that notice for 6550, which made that notice invalid and was rejected. Okay, right. So because there was a mismatch between the amount covered by the notice of intent and the amount of personal contribution, which made the notice of intent invalid and the fund had therefore to reject the, that deduction notice. Yeah, that's right. Okay, all right. So what did the member do after that? He submitted a second notice of intent to claim a $6,000 deduction. Okay, so well, that seems reasonable. What, what went wrong there? Uh, well, he then lodged his 2021 tax return and claimed the $6,000 deduction, but he was disallowed by the tax office. The ATIL rejected the amount um, because the Superfund apparently did not report an acknowledgement of that notice of intent. The member then contacted the fund and was told by the fund that they, they had never received the second deduction notice. Right, so this just goes to show how important it is always to make sure you've received an acknowledgement for your notice of intent from the super fund before you can be confident about you know, your ability to claim this contribution as a deduction. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, the story didn't stop there. The member then went on to, to lodge a third notice of intent, but this was also denied by the tax office um, because the notice of intent submitted after the tax return has been lodged is invalid. Okay, so this case demonstrates that three notice of intents were submitted and yet all three were declined for three different reasons. So this just shows how important it is not to rush through this process, but to spend time to identify the cause and the problem so that it can be resolved at the first go. So for this case, just making sure that you know all of those contributions are in would have resolved that problem first up, right? So there was total contributions of 6,550. You put in a notice for that amount, all good, right? As long as you put it in before your, your tax return is lodged, everything should be fine. Now, in this case, obviously, they got their contribution timings wrong with their notices wrong, and then they tried to resubmit, and then they didn't get their acknowledgement. And then when they finally tried to fix it all up, by then, the tax return had been lodged. So a story of woe from beginning to end, really. Um, all right, so moving on to the impact of rising interest rates on a range of legislated rates that are just about to increase. Now, here to talk about this is Tim Sanderson. G'day, Tim. Hey, Craig. So as we all know, that interest rates have been steadily increasing, and this impacts the clients in different ways. So people with home loans, are paying higher loan repayments, whereas people with investments like term deposits are receiving higher returns. But rising interest rates also impact a range of legislated rates and thresholds, which may have knock-on implications for clients. And some of these are just about to change. So do you want to run through some of these impacts? Uh, yeah, sure. Sure can, Craig. Well, there are a number of rates and thresholds that are legislated to uh, change as interest rates generally change. Mm -hmm. So as an example, the general interest charge, um, that's a rate that's charged where a taxpayer you know, doesn't pay their tax on time and their, their tax bill's outstanding at the due date. Yeah. And that's set at the 90-day bank accepted bill rate, but plus 7%. So from 1st of October 2023, that 90-day rate that I mentioned, that goes up to 4.15%. And that means the general interest charge is actually going to go up to 11.15%. 11.1%. So that's a pretty steep interest change. 
Um, and that rate is used to set some other legislated interest rates too, isn't it? Yeah, certainly is. So as an example, the interest rate charged by aged care facilities, where a client goes into care and pays their accommodation payment as a daily accommodation payment or DAP, that's set at the general interest charge minus 3%. So again, from 1 October this year, that's going to be set at 8.15%. Wow, okay. Once again, that's that's a very high interest rate. Yeah, that, that's right. And um, with the average accommodation payment being around $470,000, if they pay that full amount as a DAP, then that works out to be just over $38,000 a year. Okay, so that's definitely going to need to be planned for. Are there any other rates impacted? Uh, yeah, well, if a client breaches their non-concessional cap, um, then an associated earnings amount is calculated. And that's actually worked out by multiplying the, the excess by the average of the general interest charge rates over the financial year that that excess was made. Um, and then 85% of the associated earnings amount is normally released from super, taxed at the client's marginal tax rate, less a 15% offset. And so that higher general interest charge rate may increase the client's tax liability in that situation. Right, so they're going to be subject to these significant increases as well. Now, I suppose the other thing to think about there is if, if I make an excess non-concessional contribution, maybe I make that on the very last day of the financial year, they actually deem me to make that excess non-concessional contribution on the very first day of the financial year. So it's not only these high interest rates, but we're getting all of that interest for that whole year, regardless of when that contribution is made. Exactly. All right. Now, I guess things like first home super saver scheme are also impacted as the amount that they can release under that scheme um, includes an associated earnings amount, which is also taxable. Yeah, that's right. So that associated earnings amount, not based on the general interest charge, it's based on the shortfall interest charge rate. Mm -hmm. Um, That is lower, but it's going to be 7.15% again from October this year. Now, I guess another rate that is normally impacted by interest rate changes is the good old deeming rates for Social Security, but they are currently frozen, aren't they? Yeah, they are. So the deeming rates um, are frozen until 1 July next year, so 1 July 24. And obviously the lower rate is 0.25% and the higher rate Mm 2.25%. And they were set at that level back in May 2020 to reflect what the government said at the time was the low interest rate environment and its impact on the income from savings. But it will be interesting to see if they increase potentially significantly in July next year um, due to those increases in interest rates that we've seen generally. Yeah, that will be interesting. I remember a while ago when interest rates were declining over a number of years, they kept those deeming heights very high, right? And they, they didn't reduce them. So now when, you know, they've reduced them to reflect that very low interest rate, now we've gone to high interest rates, whether they're going to automatically jack them straight back up. <laughs> Um, we'll have to wait and see. So, okay, thanks, Tim. All right, now let's move on to two other podcasts that the First Tech team is releasing this month. Now, firstly, we have a podcast on the advice implications of the Stage 3 tax cuts, which are legislated to commence on the 1st of July 2024. Now, as you no doubt are aware, under the Stage 3 tax cuts, people with taxable income between 45000 and $200,000 will have a marginal tax rate of just 30%. Now, this can result in very big tax savings for high income earners. For example, someone earning $200,000 could save income tax of $9,075. So when you think about that in a pre-tax context, that's that's for those people kind of going to be like getting a 
uh, a pay rise of about $20,000, probably a bit less, but you know, a really significant increase in their disposable income. So now, as a result of that, this measure is going to impact a range of financial planning strategies for both this financial year as well as future financial years. For example, boosting or bringing forward any eligible tax deductions into the current year to reduce taxable income could be quite effective because of these changing rates, as well as delaying events which lead to increased taxable income in the future when marginal tax rates are lower could also be something that someone might want to think about. So please have a listen to our podcast where me and Linda Bruce will go through all the advice implications of the stage three tax cuts, uh, if obviously, if you're interested in this topic. Now, also what we're gonna be doing is releasing a podcast this month, this month on the legislation that has recently passed, which makes some technical changes to the First Home Saver Scheme to remove some of the pain points and improve flexibility of that scheme. Now, this is also an interesting topic as the scheme is gaining popularity and the changes are quite important to understand to make the best use of this scheme. So once again, if you're interested in that, um, please, or if you're interested in the First Home Super Saver Scheme for potentially your clients, or, or more likely probably your clients' kids, uh, then look out for the podcast on those First Home Super Changes as well. Now, that pretty much sap- sums it up. So thanks, Tim. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Richard, and thanks, Alex. Uh, Now, we'll probably sign it off there, but once again, uh, thanks for listening and uh, hope you enjoy your day. While all care has been taken in preparation of this podcast using sources we believe to be accurate and reliable, no person, including Colonial First Aid Investments Limited and Adventius Investments Limited, accepts responsibility for any loss suffered by any person arising from reliance on this information.